Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the filmy round table where we go tete-a-tete to bash out the merits of an old outcast to see whether to invite them back for cheese and biscuits. <laughs> I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. How are you boys? I'm fine. What cheese are you bringing to this uh, party, Rob? Um, I'm going to go with a very stinky blue cheese because I flipping love that stuff. What are you bringing? Uh, a Wensleydale. I like the creamy stuff. Oh, cheeky little devil. <laughs> James, cheese of choice? Yeah, I'm a Wensleydale man myself. Actually. Really? <laughs> yes. Goodness me. Have you, ever, have you ever had like plain pasta with red Leicester on it? No. It's absolutely sensational. Can I just add that? <laughs> <laughs> it, do, it does sound like a proper British bastardisation of an Italian cuisine. <laughs> That's all the Italian listeners gone. <laughs> <laughs> Heathens! It's a red Leicester and ketchup on a pan. <laughs> no, um, very student, that. Very student. Yeah. But red Leicester, phew. You know, instead of getting just that mild cheddar, sometimes buy yourself some red Leicester and really live. You know, just <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> You're right, boys. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Uh, Lovely stuff. What have you both been swilling on this week? Oh, so, um, so uh, first up, I just wanted to give a quick shout out slash plug. Uh, I watched John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness for the first time ever in this last week. So I'll be guesting on the tapes pod with our very own Chris Goldie yes. to record an episode on that film. But needless to say, I found it rather good. Uh, have you guys seen that movie before? No, uh, and rather oddly, well, not oddly at all considering my taste, I didn't even know it existed. So this is like suddenly mega must watch. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a priest and some grad students in a creepy church basement taking on a container of liquid Satan. It's good mm. stuff. <laughs> Where does one sign? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to sitting down and having a chat with Chris about that movie. Lovely, lovely. Any others? What else you got? And then, secondly, I wanted to shout out Malignant, which is a horror film directed by James Wan that came out last year which for all its inconsistencies is an absolute bloody hoot. This is so good. Really? A schlocky homage to the giallo subgenre, but made with about 10 times the budget of the films that it's cribbing from. So the height and tone of it won't work for everyone, but it coalesces wonderfully with the quite brilliant bone-snapping choreography and the sweeping camera moves that feel reminiscent of early Raimi or Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. It isn't especially frightening with even the jump scares failing to land. And you know, if you can't scare me, then it's not really, it's not really very hardcore. <laughs> However, with the, what the film lacks in sort of overall scares, it more than compensates with hysterical, in every sense of the word, theatrics and a truly batshit, cackle-inducing final act that really delivers. I think you'll really like it. I know, Simon, you've watched it. And oh, I love it. It's just yeah. an absolute, it's just so much fun. It's really good. It's just really fun. Like, yeah, just totally bonkers in the best way possible. And, like, it's got that certain fun factor that I haven't seen in the genre for a while because it's all gone a bit serious horror yeah. as the last few years. Mm. And it's just really fun and just stupid but brilliant. I loved it. I, I, I'm i with you, James. I thought it was great. Oh, no. Nice. Do you think he'll do any more of these, Si? Because all of his other original horror movies with the exception of the puppet movie that he made after Saw, have all spawned franchises. I'm hoping it'll do, like, if he does, it'll just be, like, a tonally 
the same and not yeah. same actors characters because i don't know how you'd do a sequel but no because what because there's quite a hefty reveal in it and once you know the the reveal i don't think it'll work as well yeah it's it, it made me just audibly go what <laughs> <When that happened. laughs> so i just started good. laughing i just thought yeah. oh that's brilliant that is yeah, absolutely really amazing. good i just think oh, james so cool. james one just is so good at getting the tone of things absolutely spot on yeah. Because I, I really liked Aquaman as well and, and that's so like so stupid and so off the wall. But it's like he just he just seems like he just has a blast with when he makes films and I I'm for it. For it all. Yeah, absolutely. He he's such a good director as well. You know, like he really, really is. Yeah, it's great. Um so there's no chance of malignant to malignanter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he'd do it. And plus, he's got the extended Conjuring universe, hasn't he? That's got about seventeen different spin-offs from that as well. So, yeah, I mean, they must love him over there at Warner Brothers. Oh, they must. Yeah, and and those Conjuring movies have the trademark greatest movie couple, I think, in them with oh, the so Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. You know, the lovely um, oh, is it uh, Vera Farmiga and um, Patrick Patrick Wilson? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. I mean, yeah. they're great romance movies. The Conjuring films. They're they so really romantic. are. They're- and it's like it's about the strength of a marriage. Those movies, you know, the inherent strength of being married. I absolutely love it. Um, so, what about you? What have you been uh, enjoying? Yeah. So, other than *Malignant*, I I did continue my current obsession with watching horror movies, even though I'm an absolute baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's why I like *Malignant* though, because it wasn't demons; it was just something else, and it wasn't. As James said, it wasn't last game. Was it Bigfoot? Well, you wish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do. But um, no, I, uh, another film I watched. I was, I was really surprised at going through Now TV because I think that's where Malignant was. Very surprised to see a new film from Ben Wheatley just pop up on there. Oh yeah, uh, which I never knew existed. Uh, called In the Earth, um, and it's a really tense and disturbing pandemic themed folk horror where uh, a doctor and a park scout uh, run into a few troubles en route to a research facility located deep in the woods like most Wheatley films um, certainly like his recent ones it's just yet another polarising affair considering <laughs> it's got one star on now TV I think <laughs> um, and I've seen a few people who weren't that into it but I was completely transfixed by everything about it to be honest it's all very low key um, but it has such an intense and heightened sense of dread that really gets under the skin, particularly because of, it's all to do with the pandemic and stuff like that. But then on a technical level as well, it's just top draw across the board. Uh, Clint Mansell does an amazing soundtrack and score, which is just absolutely amazing and really stands out, properly lifts the film. Um I, you know, it's certainly not for everyone. I, I don't think any Ben Wheatley film is for everyone. But if you are a fan of his work and his sort of left field tendency to tell a story, in particular like a f- in a field in England, um, it's kind of like that but modern, then you might like this one if you're into mm. the folk horror. Cool. I have a very strange relationship with Ben Wheatley in that I can see that he's a, like an amazing filmmaker, but I don't think I've ever like truly like thought... Uh, really enjoyed one of his movies like i'm always interested in what he's doing and then i watch it and i'm like oh he's clearly really talented but it's just something not quite clicking yeah. here for me i don't know what it is i think i think a lot of people think like that about ben wheatley and i totally don't blame them because i think he's had more sort of duds than good ones 
But I don't know. I, I think it's... I'm always rallying behind him because he's British. So I'm always yeah, like, yeah. go on, mate. <laughs> and he just feels <laughs> like he's he's sort of like a non-traditional sort of filmmaker. Like he, him and his wife just fancied doing it and they were mild, and they'd like really worked hard for it. And yeah. They keep getting sort of budgets for these films. I, I know he's sort of, he's, he's gone off, he was doing the Tomb Raider sequel, but I don't think he's doing that anymore. Yeah, he dropped out of the Meg 2 as well. Yeah, oh, has he dropped out of that as well? So yeah. That would have been really interesting. Him <laughs> yeah. that. Like two projects that you could never, it was, sorry, two, well, a property and a director you could never marry up. Give the shark some magic mushrooms and let's see what <laughs> <laughs> I think the, um, I think maybe the big bud, the big Netflix movie kind of derailed him a bit potentially. So I think maybe that's why he's gone back to his roots with this one as well because this is very much a old school Ben Wheatley film. Um, yeah. You know, really weird, really folky um and very British as well. So um you know, it shares more with A Field in England and Kill List than any of his other films. Oh, I do like Kill List. Well, like is that like is the wrong word. I thought it was really good. <laughs> But it was so oppressive. I don't know if I could ever watch it again. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Rob? What have you been watching? Um, well, usually my answer again is would be tonight's film. But um, I've um, actually realised in the last two weeks I've watched two things that I really enjoyed. One was um, Turning Red, the Ooh. Pixar new oh, Pixar movie. Is it good? Yeah, it's really good. Tonally, subject matter wise. It is just superbly executed. It's just so lovely. And what's more important than my opinion on this is that my wife and my daughters, especially my just on the cusp of teen daughter, thought this was wonderful. They just thought it was wonderful. And I've come down into the living room many times in the last two weeks to find them watching it again and again and again, which is lovely. Um, From a filmmaking perspective, it's also pitch perfect. Um, The animation style is... Um, different for for Pixar as well, um, in that there's lots of jumpy cuts and staccato animation here, um, and it gives it a real punch and verve and humour that um, elevates this so far above traditional fare. So it's a really great film, really, really nice. And um, yes, it might just once or twice have pulled on the old tear ducts. So <laughs> um, yeah, super stuff, really enjoyed it. Secondly... <laughs> Uh, my son said, can we watch the Worm movie? Uh, so I said, what, what is that? What's the Worm movie? <laughs> and he said, like, you know, the one where there's worms and they come up and pull people under. What? <gasps> June? Tremors. Tremors. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was talking about Tremors, yeah. Wow. So I watched Tremors again. And um, honestly, like, watching this movie, watching Tremors is like... How old your son again, Rob? <laughs> uh, he's four. <laughs> Uh, yeah I I really shouldn't have shown him that Um, I just thought it was really safe but it's it's really not safe Um, but um, he he really flipping loves it but tonight he got really upset because we watched it just before we came on tonight as well for the however many times this week Um, and it only just dawned on him that the guy who gets eaten in the supermarket is his beloved character Chang so he's no Chang no he gets pulled under and all I've done is sent him to bed with Mrs Parker and I've not followed up to see if they're alright or if there's any long standing trauma or whatever Um, that film is I don't know a million dollars more 
a million dollars away, sorry, in terms of budget, from being Spielberg levels of brilliant. I think it's brilliantly <laughs> directed, seriously. Yeah. It's just the fact that they can't manage the... And I love the fact, I, I always, if you have a budget, I want to see you push that to the absolute limit of what you can do. Yeah. And they've reached that limit and they still pushed, which I love as well. Mm. Um, I think Fred Ward and Bacon are absolutely brilliant in it too. Um, it's such a good movie. It really is. And it's, it's got that timeless quality. I'm sorry, haters, or if there are any haters of Tremors out there, or who think it's derivative or whatever, but I'm afraid it's still going to stand up in 50 years. I'm sorry about this. You're going to have to get your head around it. I wish you'd stop going after such a rabid fan base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Twitter is always full of anti-Tremors um, sentiment. <laughs> This is it. This is it. And uh, just before we press on, I just want to ask a very quick question: Is there anything in the film world these last two weeks that's caught your eye? Wanted to talk about? Ooh, uh, this is an off-the-cuff question, listeners. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm trying... Well, we're in award season, aren't we? So everyone's kind of fighting about. It's like a, it's like the FA Cup final, and everyone's like, "Oh, why this film won this award, and I want this film to win that award." It's like. And who cares? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. long as it wasn't no time to die, that's fine. Honestly, just don't care who wins. I'm interested. I'll I'll check out who's won. Uh, it's the Oscars. Uh, so we're recording this on the Wednesday before yeah. the Oscars. I'll check out who's won. And you know, I hope the people, the the filmmakers that I like have have done all right. But I'm not going to lose any sleep if if they don't. <laughs> Has it always been the case, or are we, do we just see it a bit more that? Everyone's so sort of tribal over award season. I don't. It's understand. worse now that it's social media. Um, it's yeah. worse now than it than it used to be. Yeah, I kind of don't get it. Like, it's not football. <laughs> I mean, obviously, people would like have people would get would go mental like when Dances with Wolves wins Best Picture over Goodfellas or or what. Have yeah, you there or... was there was a bit of a, a thing over Crash winning, wasn't there? When, Ooh, yes. yes, when that yeah. won Best Film, that was a bit. Yeah. Of a, a bit of a drama when that happened, and that was sort of pre-social media. So I guess there's always some dramas, but yeah. it just seems... I, I guess it's just because we're seeing it a bit more, but I, yeah, I, I just don't understand why it's so... Everyone gets so, like, fighty and argumentative over it. I know, yeah. It doesn't affect us in any way who wins and who Not loses. at all. No. Those films still exist. <laughs> Those acting... Do, do you think by 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 taking away the, tele, the, the, sort of the televised nature of some of the other technical awards... And by some, I mean a lot of them. Do you think that's good? Because for me, that's only going to enhance this tribalism even further. Because it's yeah. not like anyone gets upset about you know best makeup for the films that they really want to win yeah. or whatever. You know, it's kind of pandering for it to be a competitive thing, isn't it? It is, um, isn't it? Yeah, and a, po- and a popularity contest rather than an award to reward good filmmaking. And it's pandering to people who don't give a shit about the Oscars in the first place or movies. Or movies, or the yeah. art of making movies in the first place. You know, yeah. they're not going to be like, oh, I, I, I would watch that, but I'm not watching an editor accept of <laughs> an award. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, I, I'm not watching a costume designer accept an award over my dead body. It's like you're pandering to the wrong people. You should make it yeah. longer for, <laughs> yes. for people who are really into films, like an eight-hour event. <laughs> Honestly, I want an Oscar, Oscar for for best boy. That's what I want. <laughs> Yeah. Oscar for gaffer. That's montages. What I'm that's all I want. Just montage. Oh, cinema Oscar montages. for best montage. Yeah, yeah. 
Make the in memoriam about four hours long. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be so great. Right, we're all just going to settle in and watch a movie of one of the Taylor <laughs> Oscar for most, you know, appalling onset antics. Yeah. This is what. Yeah. But yeah, because that would that would bring out. I'm not saying the last ridiculous suggestion I made would, but by extrapolating outwards, you would get much more respect, and you'd be teaching people about movies. Yeah, and the how they get made, who... rather than this this what boils down to just like a cheap popularity contest. Exactly. You, you they're just pandering to the wrong people. They should lean into the cinematic yeahness of it and the film buff nature of the award show. Yeah. And, you know, people who who uh, who only watch blockbusters, they don't give a shit about the Oscars. They're not going to watch it regardless. Exactly, so I don't know why exactly. you're trying to get them on board. No. They'll just see the headlines yeah. only. But I, I read somewhere that a lot of Oscar voters, uh, this might be nonsense, I don't know, but uh, a lot of Oscar voters had abstained from voting in protest at the against the fact that they've dropped all the technical, oh, a lot cool. of the technical ca- categories. Yeah, support that. Yeah. Because yeah, I think everyone in the in the film world, or at least interested in filmmaking, are all on the same page when it comes to the emission of those awards. It is a bit is a bit silly, um, but, but, but I absolutely agree. But what it, the message it sends out from the top? I mean, obviously, everyone in filmmaking, I would imagine, wants to uh, dreams of winning an Oscar. Yeah. Okay, so if the Oscar that itself, like the absolute apex pinnacle point, is is therefore looking back down on the industry that it, it's you know, grading essentially, and just going like, well, that's not important. That's not important. That's not important. That's not important. What message does that send out? It's terrible. Mm. You wouldn't have a film without these people. It's just ridiculous. Of course. And instead, they've bumped them so that they can have a performance of "We Don't Talk About Bruno" in the middle of the show, a song that isn't yeah. even nominated for <laughs> at the Oscars. It's Is it because not? it's a cultural phenomenon? Wow. Do they not have oh, best song? They, they do have best song, but it's not up for it, I don't think. Oh, is it that other one, the the one with the sister? That's my favourite one. I'm not sure. I read that somewhere anyway. Anyway, I mean, it, it, the the musical numbers are just a load of old shite. Get them, get the people who've actually made the movies. Honestly, like, my kids kept saying, don't talk about Britain. I'm like, Who, who's, you know... It's a good Britain? song, to be fair. It is good. <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy Encanto, but my one sort of... The film I am rooting for, and I do hope it wins, is Mitchell's versus the Machines for Best Animation. Yes, yeah, fantastic because yes. it's just so good. It just pushes the envelope in so many ways in animation. And I think why that's lost a bit so of steam good. is it just came out so long ago. I think it came out yeah. in like March of last year. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, sorry, Sai. I think I just did a light beer burp. Then you might have to take out. I will <laughs> take out. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. Brackets. If you want to keep it in for comedy, that's also fine. <laughs> If it sounded good, not if it sounded. You know, oh yeah, because I, I forgot to take out the bit where I drank my gin last week on the last episode. Oh, it was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> lovely slurp. Oh, it was <laughs> lovely. Resonant, resonant slurp. Um, resonant, even re- <laughs> re- <laughs> resonant slurp. Resonant slurp. Uh, James, James. So it's your pick this week. Oh, it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, why don't you lead it in for us? So, in the year nineteen ninety nine. Bushy-eyebrowed movie maker Marty Scorsese got a camera and a peak of his powers 90s Nick's cage, shoved him in an ambulance and let him cook. The film is the largely forgotten paramedic drama Bringing Out the Dead. Oh. 
Thursday started out with a bang. Heat, humidity, moonlight, all the elements in place for a long weekend. I was good at my job. There were periods when my hands moved with the speed and skill beyond me. How long have you been doing this? Five years. Wow, you must have seen some things, huh? But in the last year, I'd started to lose that control. I've been seeing the ghosts. You ever notice people who see things are always crazy? Mm-hmm. I just needed a few slow nights, followed by a couple of days off. It's a double shooting, 41st and 8th. What happened to chest pain, difficulty breathing, fractured hands? Don't even slow down, just keep on moving. Nobody loves me, Chris. You have the power, Jesus, not to spare this worthless man. Rise up! Damn, you guys are good. I'm on my way out. Anytime now. Nobody gets fired, son. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> you swore that you'd fire me if I came in later again. You swore it. You swore it. I'll fire you tomorrow. Old man's a bus driver, mama nurse. Sort of born to it, I guess. Rule number one don't get involved with patients' daughters, you understand? Our mission to save lives. Off. Help others and you help yourself. That was my motto. I understood how crazy it was to think this way. Then something good will happen. Everything just glows. Here's to the greatest job in the world. Frank! Are you okay? Never felt better in my life. How are you? I'm good. So James, bringing out the dead, how did you come to bring it to our attention today? I mean, well, it's directed by Martin Scorsese and it's got Nicolas Cage in it. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) That right there is the uh, amalgamation that I enjoy. Uh, No, seriously, though, I picked it because nobody talks about it. And I'm of the opinion that had 99% of other directors made it, it would be one of the best films on their filmography. Yes. And in terms of my sort of relationship with it, I'm going to level with you guys. I've only ever seen this film once on late night TV about 15 years ago, and I missed the first 15 minutes of it. So it's (laughs) very much a rediscovery episode for me. Whoa, this is ace. (laughs) This is ace. Cool, cool. Uh, So, Sai, what's your relationship with with Bringing Out the Dead? Uh, Yeah, this is the first watch for me again. um, Holy Moses, what is happening here? This has got to be one of those films where I've seen so many clips of it and so many... I remember it be, being around when it came out was on everything, but I just never got around to watching it. Um, I think I was quite late getting on board with Scorsese, to be honest. So, I mean, I'm only what thirteen when this comes out. Yeah. Um, oh. And I was. You could be I, forgiven, mate. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't. I didn't really sort of get um, Scorsese fully until I was in my twenties, um, and then he's just got such a dense filmography that this one just sort of slipped out from the from the net and I'd, I'd never seen it so always wanted to watch it and uh, good, good old disney plus <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> <I know>. disney. <laughs> uh, we're not getting paid by disney plus but 
for, in terms of films, it's the best it's one. By far and away, the best streaming service in the UK because we get everything. Like yeah. all the alien it's movies have just been added as well. This yeah, week. like incredible. It's brilliant. They didn't have Tremors though. Can I just add that? Well, I don't know if Fox made that one, Rob. Did they? They definitely didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the answer to my problem. Um, no, but you're, you're so right. I think it's the best one. It's I, certainly I, the I best one for a, this podcast. Yeah. You can find all manner of shite yeah. on there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, for myself, um, I when when uh, the the three of us were at film school in '04. Um, this was in the the video library. Yes. So I rented it out I to watch. That video Enjoyed it very much. Found it very heavy going, but in a very good way. Mm. Uh, that was in. Yeah, that was that is approaching twenty years ago now, yeah. which is harrowing depression. Yeah. So uh, I will last watch this in mid two thousands. So I was really excited to go back in and watch it again. Um, but it must qualify. In which case, uh, is it budget and box office, James? Yeah. So the thing is with with Scorsese is that. Up until he started collaborating with DiCaprio on a regular basis, he was not a surefire thing at the box office by any stretch of the imagination. He'd make very expensive films, very arty films. He'd get a lot of awards recognition, but wouldn't necessarily always set the box office on fire. Uh, And that happened to be the case here. So Bringing Out the Dead debuted at number four when it was released in 1999 with a weekend gross of 6.193 million the film grossed 16.7 million against a production budget of 32 million uh, making it a bit of a box office bomb and i've seen another figure of 55 million budget touted elsewhere uh, that's probably all in with the um marketing as well so years after the film uh, came out, Scorsese reflected to uh, Roger Ebert that Bringing Out the Dead failed at the box office and was rejected by a lot of critics. Yet, he added, uh, I had 10 years of ambulances, my parents in and out of hospitals, uh, calls in the middle of the night. I was exercising all of that. Those city paramedics are heroes and saints. So he it was obviously ended up being quite a personal film for him because he was quite a sickly child. Uh, but yeah, he even he himself acknowledges that it did not perform well from a financial standpoint. Wow, interesting. So um, that allows us qualification, but critically, I'm really interested to know how this went down, Si. Well, I mean, it was by no means like a runaway critical hit, but it did do sort of better than most of the movies we cover. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a, you know, because we use the, the sort of metric of the aggregate things. I don't know whether that's a... Um, recent reviews have sort of bumped it up a little bit but it's got a 72 on Rotten Tomatoes and a 70 on Metacritic so it, it, it goes beyond what we sort of say certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes just about Ian Freer of Empire gave it four stars saying an exciting invigorating return to old preoccupations Kevin Jackson of Sight and Sound said it was a very different and in many ways a very impressive Scorsese film no review from the sheriff sadly God bless you sheriff yeah, but uh, Roger Ebert gave it his full four stars as well and said, uh, Scorsese is never on autopilot, never panders, never sells out, and always goes for broke. To watch his films is to see a man risking his talent, not simply exercising it. Um, which was a view shared by David Anson of Newsweek, who said, anyone with a taste for high-risk filmmaking won't want to miss this. Oof. So it, it was a bit of a mixed bag. There were people who didn't get on board with it, found it very sort of underwhelming, you know, sort of low on the excitement levels, which is 
sort of reflective in the audience scores as well. It's it's um, slightly lower with 70 on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's got a really odd 4.5 on Metacritic. I'm not sure whether it's a victim of like review bombing or something because there's <laughs> there's there's no real user reviews being negative, um, just a lot of sort of ratings. But those who do sort of aren't you know aren't fully on board, are, yeah, as I say, bemoan the lack of a payoff. Uh, but it's got a pretty solid three point six on Letterboxd, so by no means a hated film. That's like one of our highest numbers. Yeah, yeah. three point six <laughs> is pretty good. Um, so yeah, cool. This is one of the, in terms of um, quality, pure filmmaking quality, could be one of the best we've ever done, I think. Yeah, this probably along with Sorcerer, William Friedkin's movie yes. that we did way yes. back when. Absolutely. And Click, of course. Oh, Click, of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, five stars from our very own Mick LaSalle. What a man. <laughs> Sheriff, we got your back, baby. <laughs> Can we talk about Scorsese? Yeah, can, I don't think I, we've ever had a proper discussion about Scorsese. Is this? Is this? I mean, episode eighty-six. I don't know what we're on. Yeah. But is this? This is surely his first visit. Oh yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm. As yeah. I say, we could have got him on for a couple of other films as well, in terms of because he, his films don't always do great at the box office, particularly yeah. ones in seventies and eighties. So things like New York, New York, and The King of Comedy. Didn't do well at the box office. Silence from a few years back. You know, his religious yeah. epic with Andrew Garfield and Liam Neeson, Adam Driver, did not do well at the box office at all. But he's such a prestigious filmmaker that I think studios are sort of willing to kind of take a bath on anything, you know, because he'll because he'll deliver a top quality film. I mean, how do you guys feel about Scorsese? He's he is my favorite filmmaker. I would say to be super basic. <laughs> There's nothing basic about it. I mean, yeah. he's lauded. For, he's he's much lauded for a reason. Watching this last night after have you know, like I've watched bits and pieces of stuff for quite some time, and then then to go and watch this is like just flipping out. You're in the company of greatness here, you know, like. Seriously, and this this isn't seen as one of his greatest films, no. you know. And this is one of the ones that no one gives a shit about. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure, but you still feel like flipping heck. I mean, I am being guided through this by an absolute master. Mm. Is the impression I get? I haven't seen everything in his filmography, but I I think I've seen three quarters. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, and every single time, indelibly, I feel like I'm. Yeah, there's a master's touch involved. I agree, and. The the reason why I liked it, you know, maybe it was sort of missed at the time because of the era it was made, but it just feels like an, an old, like a traditional movie. Like there's, you know, the story itself is quite grounded in reality, but the world around it really isn't, and how that's portrayed on screen isn't grounded in reality. Like it's there's so much extravagance and showmanship that Scorsese puts into the film making side of it. Um, did you give him a nickname? <laughs> did you call no. him Scorsi? No, did I say Scott Scorsi? <laughs> yeah, it's not like this that. new new lad That's Scorsi. Lovely Scorsi. Sorry, Scovic. Right, no, we're adopting that new centre forward Scorsi. Purely accidental, <laughs> completely accidental. Uh, but no, like yeah, there's it. It knows it's a film basically, and it's really not trying to be fully real. The setting and the characters and all that are real and you, obviously that's what he sort of said in that in that thing you mentioned James but it's also everything's so outlandish and there's like a caricature of everything and 
particularly all the actors beside Cage. Who, yeah. I think for the first half of the film, Cage is probably his most reserved. He's everyone. <laughs> it's like everyone's out caging Cage in that first yeah. sort of half of it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just everything's so fantastical going around it and. I just don't think there are that many films like that anymore in terms of how it's put on screen, you know, to have these, you know, the, the lighting to be really obviously lit and um, some of the way the camera goes and the cranking up of the shots and things like that. It's it's just, there's it a big box of tricks he puts on show for this, even though you would think it would be quite a basic sort of story, which I think that's why he shows... Scorsese shows that he's a bit of a master. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I'm, it's from here on out for me. Absolutely love that. Sorry, it's been a long day, lads. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I totally agree. Um, there's so much I want to ask here because obviously the look of the film is... I, I'm not sure I've seen a film that looks anything like this before. Yeah. I don't think. It's it's because you expect it to be sort of grimy and gritty, don't you? And it's yeah. shot by Robert Richardson, who has worked with Scorsese a few times. He's shot Casino, The Aviator. He won an Oscar for that. Hugo won an Oscar for that one. He's Quentin Tarantino's regular right. DP now. He's shot all of his movies since Kill Bill. He spent most of the eighties and nineties working with Oliver Stone, so he's like an A-list cinematographer <laughs> who only yeah. works with the A-list directors. Of she the time, for the most part. So, wow. so yeah, and he, yeah, that uh, that point you make about the lighting, Cy, and how he halos so many of the actors, and oh yeah, like, and you're not sure, like, where's that light coming from? And I don't understand why that's there, but it's so arresting as an image. I, yeah. I, I really don't mind it. At it all. adds <laughs> such a dreamlike quality to the movie, as well as the, you know, there's quite a bit of what feels like. I don't know how to describe it. It's like. A in focus, soft focus. Yeah, mm. you know, there's a little glow and a haze about everything that still feels immediate and pertinent. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how he's done it. I don't understand it. I'm not clever enough to get it. <laughs> it's like true storytelling and character development through purely few visuals, isn't it? Because it, beca- it is. it ha- as he becomes more frazzled and more out of it, the central character played by Nick Cage, who we will come on to in good time. The filmmaking becomes more and more outlandish and more and more dreamlike and more and more like, did that actually just happen? Mm. Or is this part is this all within his psychosis? And it's it's like using the cinematography of the film and the way that it looks to put forward what the character is actually going through from moment to moment. I just think it's, it's stunning. Mm. I, I think you're, uh, you're totally right. I think um and and in terms of a podcast, I mean, we're, we're a fan of the main actor of this movie. Just a bit. But only a filmmaker like Scorsese could keep him out of the conversation for 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until we actually address the fact that this is Martin Scorsese and Nicolas Cage yeah. together. <sighs> He's very good, isn't he? Like He's incredible in this movie. He, he goes like full spectrum of Cage, doesn't he? Like yeah. He's very subdued for the first act and then he just graduated well that's i suppose that's why they got him wasn't it? it it must have been he must have been sort of their number one guy yeah for the role because it just lends itself to his acting style yeah. that he can go from naught to 20 in the space of one movie and, and not a lot of actors can get away with that i don't think that's right I, I felt this was like a bit of a companion piece in a way to 
uh, Port Call New Orleans. You know, that same yeah. sort of character journey and the ramping up of a character's um, obvious psychosis yeah. <laughs> as it progresses. Um, uh, what it made me think, though, is because they never worked again, didn't they? No, no. He's not one of... He didn't become one of Marty's regulars. Yeah. I was wondering what... I'd love to know the real story how... Or why that didn't happen. I don't know. I mean, he's work, he has that with some actors where he's just worked with them once or twice and then he's he's not called them back in yeah. again. It's probably just didn't have the right material for... I out of the films that he's made since this one, I can't think of where Cage would have fit in to any oh, of I those. Agree. I, I uh, agree. I do agree. Paul Schrader, who wrote this, I mean, the, the calibre of people oh, involved with this. Paul Schrader, who obviously wrote Taxi Driver, Raging Bull and Last Temptation of Christ and a myriad other films that he went on to direct himself. His first choice for the role was actually Edward Norton, which I think is quite an interesting choice. And particularly around that period of 98, 99, uh, Edward Norton. So American History X, Fight Club, Ed Norton. I could see that. I think he would have been Mm. done a good job, but I don't know if he had landed the manic energy that Cage has. And I think it helps that Cage is a little bit older, as well, like so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I he, agree. Like I he's been agree. on the job for so long. Yeah, it's just finally wearing him down. Or he's only—he says in the film he's only been a paramedic for five years, but <laughs> he could be twenty-three and it's just aged him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's really good. I don't I don't know about you guys, but I thought like I got a when I was watching it, it really reminded me of um, as if it was the opposite to American Psycho. Uh, you know, so that film that film is very much like the high end of New York. Yeah. Following like a self self serving delusional guy that sort of fantasizing about ending lives. Yeah. Whereas here we've got the proper underbelly of New York, um, following a selfless paramedic having delusions over his failure to save lives. Yeah. Mm. So I was just watching that, that that's that's and it's a, I think American Psycho was a year after this. Yeah. And um, wow. obviously they're different films, but because of the whole like the similarity in how opposite they are, yeah, they'd make a good double bill. Yeah, I, I was going to say what a fascinating back to back that would <laughs> yeah. be. Be a bit hard going. Yeah, <laughs> that was based on a book. This this was based on a book as well, wasn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. So was, yeah. Uh, a paramedic actually called jo- was it Joe Connolly? Rob, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Sorry, I, I spurted it out. Sorry. He, um, yeah, he wrote this based on his experiences. Working as a paramedic, it's adapted by Schrader, directed by Scorsese. There is a taxi driver esque element, particularly stylistically, with some of the voiceover and the definitely and the uh, as you say the underbelly of New York and a sort of psychologically damaged character, you know, cruising the streets oh, at yeah. night. Although I would say that Frank uh, Cage's Frank is a lot more easy to root for than Travis Bickle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I sense a triple bill coming on. <laughs> there is there is a sort of line of similarity with all a lot of Schrader's films, isn't there? Well, the, the films he's involved in. Yeah, they all have like yeah, a similar sort of thread through them all. Broken men. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you you do mm. you do get it. I just all the like greasy streets, like in Taxi Driver, and yeah, just the, all the the lighting, like the when they're ever they're driving down the road, and it's just got like you've got the lights of the sirens, and then you've got the lights of the street lights going whizzing past them as well. Just there's so much going on visually with this film. It's just 
considering how sort of on a level the story is and how, you know, it's three days in the life of a paramedic who's just exhausted. Yeah. But there's just so many more layers to it than that. And it's just a very arresting film in more ways than one, I think. Mm. Well, speaking of, should we just dive in? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get started. And we can pick up pieces, uh, bits and pieces as we go. So, yes, titles. I'm trying to remember what happened in the titles. Um, So, yeah, they say that this story takes place in New York City in the early 90s. So it's it's actually a period piece as well. <laughs> oh man, I didn't I didn't I didn't twig that at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so is is that because that's when the book was based or is that because New York was radically different in the early 90s so they had to sort of match it up yeah. to how it was then to 99. Yeah, I mm. think it's um I think it's probably a bit of both. I think it's probably a fidelity to the source material and also that yeah, the the sort of transition of New York from, uh, you know, a bit of a rougher city where there was, you know, high crime and and things of that nature sort of took place throughout the 80s and 90s. So it was probably still a bit of, uh, some areas were probably still a little bit um, harem scarum, to say the least. Mm. And I think that's what the film's getting across. Yeah. Do, do you know, another companion piece in terms of feel of New York City would be, or of this New York City, might be Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> I can pick, honestly, I can picture the two working. Hot town, Summer City. <laughs> uh, I can picture the two working absolutely fine together. You've got still City Hall. <laughs> got Sorry, that's the my only thing I remember of Die Hard with a Vengeance is that kid on his bicycle. There's no cops around. You've got still City Hall. <laughs> the thing I remember oh, most is wall. Jeremy Irons being disgusting eating hard boiled eggs with a little salt <laughs> A video I send you guys quite on. regularly. <laughs> Um, saved us off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, right, someone's gonna have to tell me how does it open. I can't remember how. Yeah, it so opens. it opens oh, on the ambulance and Cage's yes. thousand yard stare. Uh, so we get it's you know it's it's sort of visual filmmaking one hundred and one. This guy is not in a good place, and it starts with a voiceover and it sets up the main crux and yes. the main uh, obstacle for Cage's Frank that he hasn't saved anybody in months mm. and it's starting to eat away at him. The fact that he's just, he's not, he doesn't feel that he's being effective at his job and it's eating away at his soul. And uh, tonight on the first night, which is it goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doesn't it? So that's the main crux of it. But then you have a through plot, which is the first call out that him and uh, his partner for the evening, John Goodman get called out to and it's to go and try and resuscitate a cardiac arrest. A man, an elderly man who is the father of Patricia Arquette's character mm. has had has had a heart attack. They get there, he's been dead for a little while, but they manage to sort of get his pulse back and then they take him in. And then as Cage is going out uh, over, the, over the three nights, he sort of strikes up a bit of a friendship with uh, Patricia Arquette who's in the hospital waiting to see if her dad is going to pull through or not. And they're married, aren't they? They are married at this point, uh-huh. yes. Yes. It it looks like hell on earth, that hospital. Oh, it? yeah. It, it just looks absolutely Poof. horrendous. I suppose it's like the A&E ward of um, 
Stockport Hospital on a Friday night. <laughs> yes. <there> <laughs> I, I, I love the security guard with the shades who's guarding the area where the where the doctors are, you know, trying to save lives, and everyone is just so burdened by the weight and the pressure that they're under. Everyone's so cynical about the work that they do, and so there's so much gallows humour running through this movie because it's just like this is the only way we can function if we completely detach all feeling from yeah <laughs> i mean it's the most stressful job working in this hospital or as a paramedic in this part of new york is just the most stressful job imaginable i mean we we've sort of seen it sort of second hand over the last couple of years with how mad it's been over here but i just don't know how anyone can do that job it's the most selfless wonderful thing someone can do you know, to be either be you know like be a paramedic working A and E, and this is what their like lives are, and it's just it's a it's it's just a something that always amazes me that people can do this job. Yeah. Um, and that it's a shame that you know those in charge take advantage of them, whether that's in this country or in America, which you get the impression here if that's what it was like in the nineties for these poor paramedic drivers driving through the night uh, in grotty new york like having to deal with all this shit every day <laughs> just uh, it's, i can't believe it so um yeah amazing amazing people yeah uh, and the cost of that job is laid so so bare here yeah absolutely and it's in the more fantastical elements that scorsese is layering in to this film that you actually get to the truth of that by sort mm. of elevating everything outside it's like yeah yeah this is elevated and it's stylistic but by making it so overt and so over the top in places it actually gets to the truth of the pressure that these people are under and how broken the system is yeah yeah for sure oh 100% um yeah and, and uh, you're immediately introduced stylistically again to um the idea that in terms of the story we're being, we're being told, we're very much in the eyes of Nick Cage's Frank Pierce and all the demons that he faces on this job, both in his head and <laughs> not in his head, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? So um, it's crazy. you know. And he starts out, you know, because I didn't know the, the, the journey we were going to go on with, with Pierce until he started saying he was expecting um, Old Man Burke to be singing outside the the curtains you know that kind of thing yeah and it's like well he's he's like dying on the floor in front of you you know that kind of thing like he's got some issues this dude <laughs> yeah, know, absolutely, he's yeah. working through some stuff here um and, and and they get him in the in the um the the ambulance uh having uh pronounced him dead once uh a not on site uh me had pronounced him dead and then uh Cage had asked them to put some Sinatra on. And <laughs> Sorry, this sounds makes it sound kind of silly, but it's not. It's not. But it does have this vein of of ridiculous humour running through it because does, it'd be yeah. unbearable definitely otherwise. Does. If it didn't, ha- it, it is actually a surprisingly very funny film. It is funny. It is, yeah. yeah, it is. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think there was one of the reviews I I saw who said it was, you know, surprisingly very funny. For you know, for the sort of subject subject matter it is, and you know, for a Scorsese film, I mean, I guess, I guess he there's always a bit of humor in his films that yes. are sort of like the the human side of um you know using humor to to sort of get yourself through the day, especially if it's just like a t- particular tough day or whatever. Mm. 
but it is like it it's it's certainly a lot it was certainly a lot funnier than I was expecting um but then I guess with cage you're always going to get that to a degree aren't you yeah <laughs> we jolly will uh, so for, it's sort of almost like it's not like plotty the film it's more of a character piece and a drama but what you do get is this through line of he keeps on seeing the face of this girl that he was unable to save a few months back, Rose. And he's basically just taken the burden of that death deep down into his soul that he hasn't been able to to recover from it at all. And there's no particular reason he didn't know her in any particular way or she was just another, just another patient. But that has just burrowed deep underneath his skin and he just can't shift it. And he's seeing her face everywhere he goes now. Yeah, you you get... um, There is a a flashback scene later on, isn't there? Yeah, which Um, is an incredibly well shot sequence. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, The snowflakes, honestly, I felt like I could pluck them out. It was unbelievable. Well, do you know what... While we're just on that, do you know what they did with that... um, with that sequence? Filmed it backwards. Yeah, so in the scene... Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So... In the scene where Frank attempts to save Rose, the actors acted out their movements in reverse. The sequence itself was then played in reverse. This adds to the dreamlike effect of the scene in which the snow no. rises from the ground as opposed to falling from the sky. No. It's it's brilliant because you get that weird like jerky. It's like Twin Peaks, isn't it? There's a bit yeah. when he goes into the red room in Twin Peaks, it's all done in reverse. Yeah, you get that weird sort of jerky motion when they're all walking but it's the fact that they learn i mean obviously they've redubbed the dialogue but the syncing's pretty good yeah and they've learned how to say those things backwards so the sync kind of works and i remember years ago i did a music video where we filmed it all backwards and the guy tried to learn the song backwards and it was just impossible it's really (laughs) difficult to, to sing the song backwards um, so yeah, that scene was a is a huge standout. That's just like, you know, he's got some talent, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, he's gonna go. He's gonna do all right. <laughs> he's got. It's, it's, it's just like, um, yeah. It, there's there's so many flashes of of genius in the film, and and you know that's certainly one of them. That scene. Yeah. That this isn't a normal filmmaker, is it? This is yeah. someone who, who else would oh, even no. think of that? I mean. It's between him and Spielberg, isn't it? I don't know who else would even think to do it in that way. I mean, Christopher Nolan starts likes messing around with time, so maybe he'd do it in reverse based on time. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I can't think of anybody else who would who would even think to approach that scene in that way. But it's just it's like quite simple, but it's a simple idea, but difficult to execute. Yeah, really. Yeah, really is. And most directors just go, it's not worth the trouble even trying to do that. This is a minute and a half of the movie. Like, mm. it's a flashback sequence. What's the point? But he puts that effort into even the tiniest details. And consequently, the three of us are sat here still remembering it. Yeah. Mm. You know, it was one of the most amazing bits of the movie. It might be one of those things where it like sounds like a really obvious thing to do, but you guarantee majority of filmmakers would not have thought to do that. And it's just thinking outside the box, isn't it? And being hugely creative um, with what's a flashback sequence. I mean, the 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 lighting would have been enough, you know, yeah. having <laughs> you know the 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 blown out whites and the fact it's all snowy yeah. and, and and things like that. That that would probably have been enough. But um, no, he just goes that pushes it through a bit more and sort of 
you know, pushes the envelope further than anyone else goes. And that that's why he's so revered, isn't it? You know, maybe his films don't land with audiences as much as they should, but he says it himself loads of he he's in it for the art, isn't he? And he is a yeah. he's very much a an, an artist, you know, as a filmmaker. He's not there to make money. He's not there to winning awards and stuff like that. I mean, he's won plenty of awards. He's been nominated for plenty of awards and things like that. It was a surprise to see that this was his was it his first film in the 90s that wasn't ever nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. So that's a certain sort of degree of why this was sort of qualified I for mean, this as well. So it was obviously not not viewed upon greatly by yeah. the sort of awards givers. How it doesn't get a nod for cinematography and for for Cage's performance. I just... Cage is, yeah... I... I just don't That's understand true. at true. all. I think Cage is unbelievable in this movie. Uh, wasn't it by this point? Wasn't it like something like one of the first things um, Scorsese had done that hadn't been nominated? Oh, yeah. can we start? Yeah. Sorry, that was a slip of the tongue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I really like it. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, throughout the first night, Cage is is more he's more at the uh, sort of. I'd call it the pig register in terms of he's underplaying quite a bit. He's not ramping up apart from when he goes, I eat Larry when, uh, when John Goodman <laughs> <laughs> eating. But he's not going full cage rage yet. But I always like him when he's at this register, sort of more subdued and yeah. less unpredictable verbal. as well. Like you don't know which way he's going to go. Yeah. Like you really don't know which way he's going to go. And the thing as well, it's like acting across the board is great. I think for this, yeah, all the great you know, cast, the, the, yeah. the fact each day, each day his sort of partner in the in the ambulance is different, and they all go just completely out there as well. Particularly Ving Rhames, who's just Ving Rhames is amazing in this. Just movie. so good. he's astonishing, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think this is his best role. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to mess around. I think this is his best thing he's ever done. By a mile, he's been like a a, a sort of um, a big stadium preacher, isn't he? It's brilliant, uh, reverend guy. It's yeah. just he's he's got hair. I've never seen him Honestly, with hair in anything. Super. <laughs> Seriously, I've got you know it, it, this is the first time that I've ever seen in a scene Cage is getting like he's not the person bringing the wildest thespian heat. Yeah, it's you know the <laughs> it's Rames who's who's outdoing him in the. Madness department. <laughs> yeah. Just so good. And I think they all are. And Tom Sizemore's off his head as well. Just and basically playing himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just absolute lunatic. But the one the, the one that really surprised me was when he popped up, I did, I laughed. Um, Mark Antony. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Uh, well, used to be Jennifer Lopez. He is brilliant in this film. He is yes. so good in this film. He yeah. is! Because he's a singer, isn't he? He's a singer in real life. That's his, yeah. I, I have to be honest, I'm not I'm not that au fait with Mr. X, Jennifer Lopez. So. No, I mean, he was in Man on Fire as the, um, as the was, father yeah. who sets up the kidnapping. Yeah. He acts quite a bit, yeah. Honestly, give him the best supporting actor. That he's is brilliant. unbelievable. That. Yeah, he's really, really good. And he's where the sort of, the tragedies with him, isn't it? Oof. Yeah. To be honest, he's kind of what saves Cage as well from sort of yeah. falling off the edge. Um, along with Patricia Arquette's character, who sort of keeps him afloat as well. This Nolu keeps popping up who's like clearly a damaged chap. Mm. Um, you know, suffers a lot of mental health problems and sort of substance abuse and, and things like that. You know, New York has kind of chewed him up and spat him out. But Cage has got this sort of responsibility to for him. 
to look after him. And I, I honestly thought he was brilliant in this. I thought it was such a heartbreaking character, and I thought he was. Yeah. I did not expect it from him whatsoever. I just thought he'd be like, "Oh, let's put this really famous singer in." Yeah. Um, into films just to sort of get bums on seats or whatever. But he he blew me away. I thought he was. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, in it. tremendous. Yeah, and a very because when you first see him, you think, "Oh, right, he's ran away from the hospital. That'll be it. We won't see him again now." But he just keeps cropping up over the next mm. over the preceding nights and yeah so on the second night he's out with Ving Rhames isn't he and the uh, <laughs> Ving Rhames is absolutely loving the role chewing the scenery chatting up the <laughs> chatting up the lady on the on the on the radio six too young six too young is here baby <laughs> and I'm gonna take care of you he's <laughs> so good do you know who the lady is <laughs> no I don't know do you know Si uh no, is it someone we should know? Yeah, it's Queen Latifah. Oh, I did. I, I saw, saw the Queen Latifah was in it, and yeah. I was like, when, yeah. "When is she coming?" I didn't notice. Wow, I did not <laughs> notice that was. Oh, wow. How good is that? Amazing. I mean, Martin Scorsese himself is the other radio operator. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Which is always great to have a little Marty cameo. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You, you you can't do it without. I don't want them without. I need him in. He doesn't do them anymore, no. He doesn't do them anymore. But he did. He oh. was quite prolific at putting himself in stuff back in the 70s and whatnot. Do you, massive segue this, but this movie has made me want to actually watch The Irishman. <laughs> Have you not seen it? It's really good. No. It's very good. I bet, I bet it's amazing. <laughs> it's very good. Um, Just don't have the time, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm still waiting to see The yeah. Batman. The de-aging is, is both good and... Hilarious, yeah. That, for me, that's where it falls down. Seventy odd year old Robert De Niro trying to be a twenty year old having a fight. It's like don't really work. But yeah. um, <laughs> that aside, it's a great film. Yeah, the de aging doesn't work, and it absolutely doesn't matter because the storytelling is yeah. that yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's just phenomenal <laughs> for sure. Gorgeous. Um, well, we've got. The, I, I hadn't actually realised that um, Goodman, Rames, and Sizemore were the sort of like the three. I don't know, like angels for Cage during those three nights, I guess. Not that they were particularly good. No. <laughs> Goodman good was the best of the three. He was, he was. Uh, I thought Goodman was great as well. But he was also on the verge of a nervous breakdown and he do, he rings in sick on the second night. And I love that as Cage is coming on shift for the second night and he rocks up late on purpose because the guy said he's going to fire him if he's late again. Yeah. And he's like, I can't fire you. We haven't got anybody else. Like, literally, unlucky. I loved his boss. His boss was so nice. <laughs> his boss was brilliant. I love this kid. I love this kid. I'll fight you tomorrow, yeah, I promise. Like, I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll fight you tomorrow. I'll make um, it up to you. I'll give you a week sick. He goes, a week sick is not going to do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. This film is great. I just talking about it was making me love it even more. It's, it's just so good. Honestly, I'm with you. Totally with you. You don't even have to talk about the plot. You could just talk about scenes that you like because there's so many great scenes throughout mm, throughout the movie. I mean, but there's yeah. heroin stuff as well. Like, so Ving Rhames and um, and Cage get get called to like a crack den, isn't there? And there's oh, a girl oh, who doesn't yeah. realise that she's pregnant, and she gives birth to twins one is perfectly healthy and the other one is stillborn and that shot of cage running into the emergency room and he's like doing cpr on this on this oh, baby trying awful. to trying it's to keep awful. it alive 
And then it cuts back to the ambulance and Ving Graham's is cock a hoop because they saved the other baby and he's like singing and saying, you know, he's on a high. And this again is that mental cost of what is you doing? Yeah. yeah. And that's the difference between the two as well, isn't it? Like how Cage's main worry is how he keeps losing people and he's he's not yeah. saving people's lives. Whereas Ving Rames is like the, the sort of bright side of it. You know, he knows that that's part of the job. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you can't you, save everybody. You can't save everybody. Especially tr- just to... try and get in Queen Latifah's good books. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and you just have to take those moments of 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 like beauty and and magic mm. you know because they're, they're probably so few and you know that is just unfortunately that just is yeah. part of the job yeah and anyway they've both completely got off the off the rails by this point they both start decide to get to get pissed in the in the cab <laughs> and then ving rames totals the ambulance <laughs> <laughs> flips it Absolutely. Totally <laughs> Which I was like, what what is happening here? Just... <laughs> Incredible stunt, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Old, school, oh, um, uh, old school ramp. It's quite, yeah, quite a big yeah. mad stunt for 90s Marty as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just cuts to a wide and then smashes up this ambulance. I, I love I love the shot when it um when Cage gets out, because it's on its side, isn't it? And the camera's yeah. like on its side as well. Yeah. And then it rotates with him as he gets out. Just wonderful stuff that's like again yeah. it's just like he could have done something like a jib shot or something like that but no to do to like roll it roll the camera with cage as he gets out the yeah and and again great from cage as well like he manages to because it's quite a long shot and quite a difficult maneuver climbing yeah. out clambering yeah, out of a yeah. smashed ambulance and, um, and there's dialogue in it as well he's talking to rames when he when you know from because it goes from him waking up then coming out yeah and, mm. It's and just, chatting with Rames and saying, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> lovely on-screen reunion of Cameron Poe and uh, Diamond Dog as well. Yes! Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, yeah. there is. And, and so Ving Rames' hair, we've not mentioned it's it. gorgeous wig. I've what? never seen him with hair oh, before. Absolutely gorgeous wig. It's just brilliant. Love it. I, I, honestly, that that toop is best supporting actor mania. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which is better, Mark Anthony's toop or... Uh... Oh no, Rames is too. Rames is gorgeous yeah, too. Is is very shiny and, and lovely. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I thought it was paint to me. <laughs> I just painted on. Absolutely brilliant. There's just so many bits of this, you know, and it's just so many elements of like, you know, any filmmaker could do one of these things, and it'd be like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But he does yeah. about ten of them. <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh god, you're pretty good, you are. Yeah. <laughs> you do always get the impression that he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to show off a bit. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, and and I'm sure for films like this, he can show off a bit more because he's, he'll obviously have a bit more, you know, a bit of control. Yeah, you know, it's it's he knows New York like better than Back anyone, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. So so all that side of it, you know, he's got Schrader on on sort of doing the screenplay duties, so he knows that's covered. The DOP's got on board is obviously like a genius, top end dude. <laughs> so he can like afford to like show all these like flourishes of, of magic yeah. and and he's got the crew to back it up as well which they, they're obviously proving and the talent and in front of the camera as well have, have yeah can back it all up it's so. just firing on all cylinders isn't it like mm. i mean what would you think if this film came out like this year or in the last five years would it be considered as one of the best films released in the decade yeah i don't know 100 100 100 because it's so yeah. different to what 
is being made. Yeah. And then also it, it's still so pertinent as well. It's one of those films that hasn't dated at all. It's no. still relevant, will probably always be relevant. New York has as much as it's probably changed since then, it still ha- will still have that reputation attached to it when you get past midnight and it, yeah. you get round the sort of back streets and yeah, it's just a to make a film that is re- still relevant after 20 years, that's a good film in my book, I think. Yeah, for sure. So that shift ends with them totaling the ambulance. <laughs> uh, so, um, and uh, Cage gets off shift and he and Patricia Arquette go and hang out in a drug dealer's place for a, for about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Cliff Curtis. Cliff, Cliff Curtis. Also great as well. Yeah. Like <laughs> Everyone's great in this. There's no, you're not allowed not to be great. Michael K. Williams was the victim of a shooting. He was, yeah, 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 yeah. Brought in and uh, oh, let me just get the uh, the girl's name because one of the because uh, uh, one of the girls who's in Cliff Curtis's drug den is one of the main characters from The Wire. What's she called? Oh I'm yeah, sick. the one who's the the cop, the the lesbian yeah. cop. Yeah, and I want to get her name right because she's brilliant. Uh, uh, Sonja Son. Yeah. I remember, I remember spotting her. Yeah, and the the nurse from Scrubs is a nurse in this as well. Yeah, she's um, brilliant. Young, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, the cast is just yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant, have an award for best ensemble and give it this. It Absolutely. Is. And how much they're all invested in this and how great they all are in this is so it's a sight to behold. Really, it's yeah. brilliant. And that's when Cage has his flashback to Rose's death, isn't it? When he's because he takes a pill. Well, is there. He does, yeah. yeah. And, um, and you just Curtis's think, oh, that's, a, that's another vignette that's, you know, it's just something that happened to his character. That's not going to be relevant later on, but it actually is relevant later on. Uh, and then before you know it, he's back on shift again, but this time he's been partnered up. He's, his boss has once again refused to fire him. <laughs> and, and to make matters worse, he's got to share the ambulance with uh, Tom Sizemore. <laughs> Absolute psychopath. Who he, who he outwardly hates, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who everyone hates by the looks of things, because he's oh. an absolute lunatic. But even, but Cage has got really frazzled at this point, and he's very much on the uh, on the edge of a full-blown nervous breakdown, and uh, he's even worrying Tom Sizemore with his behaviour at the moment. <laughs> I, mean, he starts I love to that. Shift by Sizemore's been wild for ages. vitamin drip, doesn't he? <laughs> and and um, the the sort of the main narrative strand really is about Cage's descent over a couple of days, but it's played alongside the uh, his relationship with Patricia Arquette's Mary, yeah, and the death of Mary's father. Although I should say, spoiler alert: the slow, protracted death of Mary's mm. father, who is he was the very first person um, in the movie that he resuscitated, yeah, and he just. Um, is being kept alive continually through CPR and defibrillator shocks. And yeah. Mary keeps thinking, he's going to be all right, he's going to be all right. And and he's not. He's not. He's really not. And it's and then Cage is having these these visions or these, these sort of like manifestations where old man Burke, as he's been calling him, yeah. is saying, please let me go, kid. Please let me go. You know, please, yeah. you know, kill me, kid. Kill me. When, like, this is happening while he's... You know, present while they're bringing him back around. Exactly, because you know? I think it slowly dawns on him that by resuscitating him, all he's actually succeeded in doing is turning him into a vegetable. Essentially, yeah. like he's yeah. going to have no quality of life whatsoever. He's going to be kept alive with 
on life support and mm. he's never going to make a full recovery at all. He was he was basically dead for too long before Cage brought him back. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That... I think this is this is like how it's quite poetic, isn't it? That this sort of ending, isn't it? When Frank sort of realizes that you know he he worries too much about how he's not saving lives. Yeah. And he just needs to learn to live with you know losing them. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a very poignant ending and a very strong ending. It's because a great it's, scene. Yeah. It's yeah. so it's good. Really, it's so hard to watch, but you kind of get it and you're just like, oh. Is this where he patches himself up to... Yeah, to the, the machines. And just the leaves him, machines. doesn't he? Yeah. Just lets him <laughs> gently <laughs> slip away. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful, Oof. powerful stuff. Yeah, it really <laughs> oh, it is. When he lifts up the shirt and he starts attaching the ECGs to himself, it's like, oh, oh. Yeah. And he puts the respirator in his in his mouth, and he's just yeah. staring at. He's not looking at uh, old man Burke, who's slowly passing away. He's he's just looking at the machines, and he's breathing in the same way that he would have been breathing, just really deep breaths. It's yeah, just a, it's an amazing piece of acting, honestly. Mm. He's brilliant again. Can we? Um, I, I know I texted you guys while I was watching this, just simply to say. I, I, is there any more what more watchable than this guy? At this point, when he's dialed into something, he's so unbelievably good. Mm. Like he just he's and he's so dialed into this part, and he's he, you know he took the movie because he wanted to work with Scorsese. Yeah, and you can tell, and he's absolutely. I mean, he usually brings his A game. There was a really good interview with him that because he's having he's having something of a comeback. I mean for most of us yeah, yeah, never yeah, yeah. for us on this pod he never went away anyway. <laughs> but he's having a bit of a renaissance over the last year or two. And you know, now that he seems to have sorted out his the issues he had with debt, he can he's maybe looking to make, you know, more more respect. Some of the VOD stuff he did was very good and he did put a lot of effort into those movies, a lot more than most actors in his position would. But you know, it's fair to say that a lot of that stuff wasn't his, wasn't his best work, and it looks like he's on a bit of a comeback trail now. Mm. You know, he's going to a movie premieres dressed like shortbread. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, obsessive! <laughs> I love some shortbread. That's what I should have put in. I what have I been watching this week? That incredible interview with Cage in a tartan suit talking about shortbread. And then he goes down the line and he's like, I wanna wanna talk about Egghead. <laughs> so so if you're looking for a new villain for Batman, uh, call me and I'll be Egghead. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Cage uh, to be cast in Oppenheimer seen as every other actor in Hollywood is currently in that movie. I know. <laughs> I'm mad. Oh. No, it's gonna happen. It's it's he's gonna get the big calls very soon, Cage is. Yeah, I think so as well. Um and quite right too. Is that new one still 100% on Rotten Tomatoes? That's yeah, I think kind it of is. Got yeah, good... It's got 9.3 yeah. on IMDb. So. Flipping it. <laughs> yeah, it's getting good sort of early write-ups. Everybody loves Cage. Get him in a big movie now. Do it immediately. Please do it. Please. Yeah. Please. Well, he, is, he is playing Dracula, isn't he? Coming in the next year or two with Nicholas Holt. And that's going, oh, to, be a big yes. mo- that's going to be a big movie. So it's... Uh, is it? Yes. Right, right. Oh, that'd be cool. Um. So... Yeah, uh, it, the movie ends with this. He goes to tell um, Patricia, I kept that her father has died. And she says, would you like to come in? And he does. And he lies, sort of, they snuggle, yeah. don't they? Snuggle, what a wrong word for what they do. You know, they cuddle. 
and the light, the halo effect just goes, yeah. you know, ramps right up. And it's like the whole thing has been about how he's not been able to save anybody, but by killing someone, he saved them. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. the message in it. Exactly, yeah. Phew! Yeah. And it allows him to to um, accept the fact that he was unable to save Rose. And there's a, I, I, we've not really touched on it, but the screenplay is so good. There's so oh, much brilliant dialogue throughout. And he, Rose's face sort of uh, appears in the place of Patricia Arquette's character and he apologises to her. And she basically says, it's not your fault. No one asked you to suffer. That was your idea. Mm. So basically his guilt just completely ate him up. Yeah. And he's finally accepted. And just at the end of the movie, he just goes to sleep because he's just not been able to sleep. Yeah. This entire time. I love the ending. I was really like, yeah. Oh, it's superb. Bottom lip was going. It was very good. Oh, yeah. It's just great. Um, Considering we've got to the end of the movie, can we discuss your best bits, please? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I've sort of said throughout this chat that the film is really funny, despite a lot of the, you know, grim kind of subject matter. Mm. So two of my favourite bits. Uh, Ving Rhames resurrecting the overdosing goth who goes by the name of I.B. Bangin. Oh, yeah, that's stunning. Absolutely Sorry, amazing. that is one of the greatest scenes. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, so, you know, we're not... But I... It would be remiss of me not to mention where the moment where Frank Pierce finally properly loses it. They get called out on a suicide call. This is when he's out. Uh, <laughs> he's out with Tom Sizemore, and they go to like this homeless community under under a uh, under a bridge. I know I'm only laughing at that. It's very much reminiscent of when he pulled the gun on that uh, woman in um, on that old lady. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. All New Orleans. It's like appalling, but. Really, really funny too. And he's looking at the guy who's apparently tried to slit his wrist and he just says to him so matter-of-factly, this is the worst suicide attempt I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he proceeds to instruct him how to do it properly and dares him to do it in front of him. And the poor homeless man's scared out of his wits and runs away. And yeah, it's just amazing and appalling and brilliantly funny all at once. And I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> that whole bit's good because Sizemore when he puts the the heart monitor thing on his forehead as well and he's oh, like, yeah, spinning yeah, yeah. in some yarn about some experimental if it goes drug. green go and get yeah. urgent medical attention <laughs> 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 what about your favourite bit Si? Um, I mean there's just so many bits like the, 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 the shot out of the ambulance is great and that whole scene in the snow uh, when we see how Rose died is just so masterfully done but my favourite bit was really incidental bit, really early on, and just sort of, for me, just sort of set out how good this film was going to be. And it's just when he's at um, he's at Mary's house, he sees her dad's got had a heart attack and then he's, uh, him and John Goodman are trying to resuscitate him. And he, I think there's a bit of a monologue over it and the camera just like tracks to his face really slowly on like a dolly and then the light in behind him just turns off and lowers really. So he's just still lit up and then the rest of the room just yeah. goes out of just everything just dims down <clears> and drops out. And I just thought that was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good film. Um, when it's something as simple as that just really out sort of set out 
what Scorsese is going to do from a filmmaking point of view for, with this film. And I was, I was like, when that happened, I like proper got into my seat and was like, oh yeah, I'm going to like this. Yeah. And just really enjoyed the rest of the film. So yeah, it was a good, a good sort of tone setter. That shot. Nice. I have to be honest. Yeah. Very early point. I was like, whoa, this is just a great looking, brilliantly directed movie. Um, but my favourite bit, I think, is a mad one, actually, because I've never seen it before. And it was in um, when Patricia Arquette, and it's just before they have pizza, Ving Rhames brings in pizza for them in the yeah. sort of the the chill-out area in the hotel, the hospital. <laughs> Sorry. And, Some uh, of the patients use it like a hotel. They do, don't they? <laughs> They're and, and, out every um, night. <laughs> and Arquette and uh, Cage are sitting there, and she's saying... He's going to be all right, isn't he? He's going to be all right. And before Cage answers, like absolutely madly, Scorsese does three quick fades between two, between three different shots. Yeah. And then comes back to Cage answering. I, I just, it was just madness. Like, and it just made the the moment feel like an absurd, brilliant dream. I, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like fades that didn't fade to. Somewhere else. I mean, it fades within dialogue. I, what is going on? Three fades within the same. <laughs> What's going on? It was bravura madness. I, and I really enjoyed it for that. Do you think mm. that's Schoonmaker or, or Scorsese himself who sort of comes up with these? Because obviously he's used the same editor throughout his career. Yeah. Is it her who comes up with this stuff, or is it, or is it him? Honest, I really don't know. I think it. I think yeah. it'd be a mix of both. Like yeah. it might be he'll want to do something, and then she'll go, "Yeah, How about this," and then he'll go, "Yeah, it works. Yeah, works. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, works for me." But yeah, I'm sure it's a bit about because obviously she is has a lot of input in his films. I think. Yeah. They're just on the same wavelength, aren't they? Yeah, mm. she just gets his sensibilities so yeah, Spot so on. thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, verdict-wise, I suppose we should go into that now. Uh, si, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, so um, there's there's just such a high degree of incredible filmmaking going on from old Marty. Um, with a tightly wound cage on top form, who just gets more and more fraught as the days pass by and the film goes on. And with all those un- really unique and quirky characters populating the screen, matching cage completely in the acting stakes, it's all just utterly hypnotising to watch from start to finish. It's such an un- intoxicating film. With it being an adaptation of a book, there's a certain amount of poetic beauty weaved in amongst the grottiness of After Dark New York. It's dark, it's heavy, it's extremely chaotic in parts as well. Um, but it's also strangely beautiful to look at with just some so many flashes of genius from our favourite bespectacled grumpy uncle, Scorsy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you know, like um, a rapper that BBC, you know, Six Music Extra might have on. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about Stormzy. So yeah, well, yeah, Scorsy. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a great assessment, James. I'll go first because you brought this one to the table here. Yeah, as in, I'll go before you. Sorry. Um, I just think it's a masterpiece. I've got to be honest. I, there's not much more I can say about it. I just think it's brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed, brilliantly written. It's an absolutely flawless piece of filmmaking. I, I can't find anything about it that I don't jive with, don't agree with. I think it's painful, it's funny, it's heart 
heart-wrenching. Um, it's insightful. Um, its message is absolutely spectacularly delivered. And there's nothing about this that I cannot get on board with. I just think it's a complete home run across the board. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said this about any film ever. I just I know who <laughs> knew it was going to be bringing out the dead that would do it. But like it, for the fact that this didn't, you know, if this is known as Martin Scorsese's lesser work, my god, we're talking about an absolute great here and we really are. You know, so but reconsider. Reconsider. <laughs> you know, there's too too small a word for how yeah. I feel you should go and enjoy this movie. This is the work of an absolute genius. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I can't disagree with any of that. I mean it's it it's even better than I thought it was. Like I, I've recently watched this and The Colour of Money and no and I'm just like, all oh, right, well they're two of the best films I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Of where do they fall in his filmography? I don't know, 10 and 11. And <laughs> I mean, it's just an absolutely ludicrous uh, filmography. And this is another stellar entry. The filmmaking's amazing. And for me, it's Cage's best ever performance. I think it's the best he's ever been wow. in this particular film. Love it. Um, I love him when he does the more serious work. And I thought he was great in Pig last year and Port of Call, New Orleans, he was fantastic in that, and Leaving Las Vegas, he's great in this. But I think, but I think in this film, he does everything. He does the more low key cage, the more reserved, and he also does his more zany and more unhinged stuff. But it all feels part of the same. He he always feels like a real person at the same yes, time. It yeah, never yeah. tips into. Uh, into parody or into caricature, and he—I just think he's operating at the peak of his powers here. You know, he's yes. been making action movies for the last couple of years, and this feels like a a bit of return to to serious acting. You know, you know, it's hard making action movies as well, but mm. this is him like really just—he's obviously well, really excited to work with Scorsese, and yeah. He's rising to the challenge of the material, and I just think he's absolutely phenomenal in the role. And mm. if anyone hasn't seen this film, they should watch it. And if you haven't seen it for a long time, go back and watch it again because yeah. I tr trust me, it's better than you remember it being. Because yeah, because mm. of the three of us here, you've got one first watching yourself, Si, and then you've got two years between watchings. Yeah, for, for you and me, James. And yeah, I could totally echo that. Well, this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Two first watches. Not even my pick. <laughs> Super stuff, guys. Uh, again, it's always lovely when we get an, a, a, a bona fide gem that comes to the pod. Mm. And yeah, just urge everyone to go and check it out. Thank you very much, fellas. Um, yeah, next time, Si, what have we got? It's your pick. Yeah, I really struggled picking this one this week, but I think I've got one. We'll be going into a psychedelic and psychotic fever dream for our next movie with Nicholas Winding Refn's The Neon Demon. Oh, never seen. I'm very excited. Never seen. I've got it on my Just list to watch this year. I have it recorded on my <laughs> skybox downstairs. I can't. Oh, wait. this is great. This is the Elle Fanning model movie, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's a risky move. Um, Sweet, I'm down. It's a for risky it. move. It's a Are you swinging for the film. fences here, Si? Are you Nick Cage? Well, not it? as much as not as much as Winding Refn does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that's fabulous! Fa well, 
Can't wait. Can't wait, boys. Well, uh, Neon Demon... Neon Demon. (laughs) (laughs) The Neon... Neon. Neon. What's going on? The Neon Demon. Ian Demon. (laughs) (laughs) The Neon Demon next time here on FYR. Super stuff. That's a cracking pick, that side. I can't wait. Oh, I know, I yeah. know. Yeah, well, gimme, we'll gimme right what, now. We'll see what you think at the end of next week. <laughs> yeah, Have a lovely fortnight, fellas. Great to hang out with you as always. Um, take it easy. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for everything. Always great to spend time in your company. Please hit us up on the Twitters for a chit-chat. Give us your five stars and your subscription service of choice. And do tune in next time for the Neon... Neon... I can't even Ian say it, The Neon Demon. <laughs> Um, we're all off now, I presume, to look at the uh, the illicit photographs Simon has just sent us from People magazine of Nicolas Cage on the set of this Dracula movie. And holy <laughs> Moses, are we all in for a treat, if this is real. There's been some great pics of Cage going around this week, and this is just another one. Incredible. Uh, honestly, looking at this photograph that I can see in front of me now, all I can do is like, oh, fingernails! Oh, I got them! <laughs> going to be FYR after dark this <laughs> supreme trouser action lack of trouser action sorry <laughs>